Facing myself, huh? Seems the time has come for me too. Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Friday. Boss, we need to talk. Is something wrong? I'm not sure. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friend Request, a podcast where we talk about characters and relationships in video games. I'm Colin Detmar from Scanline Media. And I'm Jennifer Uncle, also from Scanline Media. Uh, so why don't we talk about uh, your your uh, character relationship first? Okay, that makes sense. So I've decided to talk about the protagonists from Persona 4 and Persona 5, namely... Well, they're all custom names, like most JRPGs, but the given official name for Persona 4 is Yu Narukami. And the fifth one... The unofficial name I keep seeing everyone use is Akira, but they might have gone with a different one for the spinoffs. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think the name is uh, Akira Kurusu, which is from the manga that they made. Oh, okay. So, I don't, like, they've they've had, you know, like, official names from mangas or from animes that were then overwritten anyway, so that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be... But for the moment, that seems like the most official name. Yeah, true. Even when they were talking about Persona Q2, it seemed like they'd come up with a different name, but oh well. Anyway, the point is, the the way that they portray these protagonists, or at least set them up more or less, dictates the tone of the games themselves. So Persona 4 starts out with you... I forget the exact reason why you had to move out to the country for a bit, but... Uh, I think your parents are going to be in America for the year. Oh, right. They're going on vacation. So they're like, okay, I'm going to send you over to your uncle's and you're going to go visit the country for a while. And the thing is, he's, he seems pretty happy where he already is, including his classmates. They're like, oh, no, you're going to be leaving for a bit. That sucks. But he ends up coming to this, to Dojima's house and... He ends up spending a lot of time looking after his... It's his uncle, right? Pretty sure it's his uncle. Uh, yeah, Dojima is yeah. his uncle, yes. He lo- he looks after Uncle Dojima's daughter um, a bunch. He's like a... I think the best way to describe his personality overall is... He's stoic and protective. Like, he... The game encourages you to go out of your way to look after... Why am I blanking on her name? (laughs) Nanako? Yeah, the game encourages you to look after Nanako and be there for her when Dojima's off on a case or has other shit to worry about. And overall, everyone gravitates to you in Persona 4 because you're... Because of that same stoic level-headedness... I mean, the main gist of Persona is you're playing these people who have this preternatural ability to gather and gather the people around them and form bonds, but it feels pretty natural here because your character takes charge pretty often and does his best to shepherd his group around and 
anytime there's something wacky going on, he's always first in line to help out. Or at least, he he's willing to go with the flow. At least he was when I played, so... Mm-hmm. He seems like, like, the way the game portrays him in a lot of cases is that, like, I mean, first off, there's sort of the, like, the, his battle theme is reach out to the truth, right? And he's a character that is really pretty honest, especially compared to other Persona protagonists. Like, the game encourages you to be honest about things, even when the truth is a little uncomfortable. And he's also fiercely loyal, I would say. Totally. You, you get where he's coming from any time he goes out of his way to save his friends or protect Nanako in some of the later game stuff. Like, <laughs> you can very much see him as... Hmm. He, at one point in the game, jokingly refers to him as King, and you can kind of see where that comes from because everyone looks up to him and he just does his thing with confidence. Meanwhile, you have the... Akira from Persona 5 who is almost the exact opposite like he gets sent to the big city because he gets involved with a high politician trying to assault this woman and so from the very start you're kind of on the shit list of everyone else like you're staying at the you're staying in the attic of this coffee shop, and if you try anything stupid, the owner is prepared to kick you out immediately. The school takes you in very hesitantly. They they don't want to be doing this, but decide it's in their best interests. And from the even the even the gym teacher and the students themselves don't want you there. Like, the gym teacher's eager to kick you out the first chance he gets. And the students think that you're some sort of hard-edged criminal who came out of nowhere. And they attribute most of the bad things at the beginning to you. And you're kind of starting from the bottom of the rung. Like, any story where you're going to be moving from one school to the other in the middle of a year or in the middle of a class that grew up together is going to have this outsider feeling. But in this case specifically, you are you get stuck with other outcasts and you form this bond of camaraderie. You form this camaraderie over sticking it to the people who put you in this situation in the first place. And Akira himself is this devil-may-care... Very studious looking by day in his large glasses and uniform, and by night, thanks partially to his. to the Persona world's background, or mementos in this case. He's this smirking thief who is constantly pushing to the. is constantly pushing the edges of what he can get away with, and is looking for danger with a smile on his face. And even though he, even though he's a lot more reckless in Persona 5, you still get the sense that he's doing things for a good reason. Like, you still get the sense that 
he was put in this position wrongly, and even though he's going to have some fun getting out of it, he's fiercely protective of his fellow classmates and the people that have rallied around him. Well, and I think it's it's I think he's interesting, right? And like so Persona 4 was a lot portrayed by his like uh, by um Yu's like yeah, his his protective nature of his of his friends and sort of like how he stood up for them and was a leader for them and was really often willing to go along with their stuff. Um and in Persona 5 like like okay so Persona Four is like the leader that like walks alongside you and guides you right, mm-hmm. and I think Akira in Persona Five feels like the leader that's like running ahead and you're keeping up with right. Oh like, yeah, he's the person he's... that inspires others to chase behind him, but he's still going on his own way. Mm-hmm. He's I mean like in in a way that I think is is like not super unhealthy or anything though you know there's an element of that but like he's a pretty selfish character. Um. And not like I think he's fairly nice to his friends, but he has a goal, and he's going for that fucking goal, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like you get the sense that he knows. The story hints that you're starting to recollect things when you run into a familiar character, maybe a quarter of the way in, but you kind of stay silent about that. Even your glasses—it's not a spoiler to say your glasses are fake, right? <laughs> Are they fake, or does he just have pretty good vision? I wasn't clear on that. It's hard to say, but there's that, there's some point towards the end where he tosses the glasses and doesn't seem to need them anymore. So, either they were... Either they were just this light corrective... Um, they were these light corrective lenses, or he was doing it for show. And either way, pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's just like he has that very um, like he clearly likes like likes being dramatic. He likes having a spotlight, which is you know as you say a, a juxtaposition from what you would think looking at him. He's he's got that quiet persona during the day, but like even that, like a lot of his dialogue options are like the person who like seems quiet and then when like pushed at all will seriously fucking mouth off. Um, it's it's interesting, I think. Like, and one of, one of the things that I I saw interesting, I hadn't seen his last name before until you asked just now, and I double checked, and it's Kurusu, which is very close to Karasu, which is Japanese for crow, and given his look, he he kind of has this this crow like look, um, and I think, like, I don't, there, he's this interesting character who is kind of, like, a, a, a little bit, like, not truly... But has a little bit of ruthlessness in what he's pursuing and is is loyal to his friends, but also pretty dedicated in his cause and a little flip about the consequences. And it's, uh... For, for the Persona series, it's it's nice because I was wondering how they were going to do things differently after, um... You know, the character from 3, who I think we've talked about on the... Have we talked about in the show before, or just generally... Um, I think we might have just talked about him generally, or her generally, okay. if you play Persona Portable. Well, he's kind of a sociopath. Um, <laughs> he's kind of this character that's like super manipulative and cold, and and just like gets shit done really fairly emotionless, emotionlessly, um, but also still has some real human connections. And then you have the Persona Four character who's really sincere, and I was kind of like, oh, so it's just going to be a mix of the two. And it's not really. 
Akira is is his own is his own character in a way that I I didn't expect them to hit. Yeah, he is. I wouldn't call him a sociopath. I would say that he has this rebellious streak within him, but he still has something. He still feels an inkling of responsibility to both the people who are endangered and his friends who are trying to rescue the endangered people. I mean, honestly, he reminds me a lot of some attitudes I had in high school where I was like usually fairly quiet and friendly, but if I saw a thing that I decided was not okay, I was the biggest fucking prick about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I actually found him more relatable than the last two characters before him. So, Huh, that's pretty cool. Not as relatable as the Persona 3 uh, female MC, but, you know, who will be? Yeah. So do you want to talk about what you... Uh... Sure. So the character I brought today is uh, Adam Jensen from Deus Ex Human Revolution and Deus Ex Mankind Divided, and of course a few, like, iPhone side games that I'm not <laughs> really going to talk about. Yeah, Deus Ex Go, such a rich lore. And what was the what was the one there was the, like the the one they ported to PC? I don't remember. There was there was another like sort of weird. Anyway, um, <laughs> so this is like the thing about about Adam Jensen, and this is kind of like I wrote an article a, a while ago about Deus Ex and about kidney well like organ failure right i mean specifically kidney failure because that's the one i have personal experience with but kind of how deus ex human revolution is in large part like an, an allegory for um organ failure and transplant and the ways that that's a complicated mess um and at the time i found that like it was really powerful for me when i was when i was going through dialysis and waiting for a transplant and i felt it was really really strong um, and I was maybe a little less critical about the game and about Adam Jensen as a character and what he represented at the time. Um, and in retrospect and with, with like further games, I am a lot more critical of, critical of this character. So his deal basically is that he was uh chief of security for this, like for this, um, biotech, um, company that also did, you know, like, uh, cybernetic implants, um, sort of a pioneer in the field and he got uh, badly injured when the company headquarters was attacked and while he was out they installed a whole bunch of implants in him to save his life is sort of the pitch but the number of ones they added and how fancy they are you kind of get the idea that once they saved his life they just decided to keep going um and he's sort of this character who like he he's he you can play him a couple of different ways, but at a large part, there's the the catchphrase of his that people will will, <laughs> will quote whenever you reference this game, which is "I never asked for this." Um, which at one point it's like, you know, you you kind of get it because it's like, well, okay, he had a major elective medical procedure done to him while he was in a coma or just generally out and had no say in the matter, and that's pretty screwed up. But because um, in in that world, there was a big, you know, like ethical divide over whether or not you should get implants. And he hadn't chosen a side and then he wasn't really allowed to choose a side. It was chosen for him. Um, 
And at the time, I found that all like a, a good good allegory for for kidney failure and stuff. But there's this a problem, I think, especially when you go on into Deus Ex: Mankind Divided, and they start making comparisons between having cybernetic implants and being a minority? Yeah, the specific term that the Deus Ex team and Square Enix used repeatedly was robotic apartheid, which is Mm -hmm. remarkably, remarkably out of touch. Mm -hmm. And then there was, of course, the, like, All Lives Matter thing, which is, of course, a reference to All Lives Matter and is not not good. Um, Oh, God, I forgot about that. Yeah. So, like, the thing is, right... Um, one of the things that's sort of central to Adam Jensen's story is the fact that, um, and this, and the, the reason I connect it to organ transplant is that, uh, in this world, if you get cybernetic implants, there's a special drug you have to take to keep your body from rejecting your implants. It's expensive. You have to constantly take it or you're going into, uh, like into like cybernetic rejection and that's going to go really bad for you. Right. And Adam Jensen is special because he doesn't have to. And they don't know why, but he's the only one who doesn't have to, right? And at the time, it was kind of this fantasy because, like, you know, I'm I'm saying this, and here, let me just reach out and just pick this up, and that's a bottle of medication I have to take every day or I die. Um, <laughs> so it's uh, anti-rejection medication for organ transplant. So to me, it was like this really clear comparison here of like oh i see they have to take these pills every day or they're dead because of this thing that they got and now they don't have a choice about um and i found it really sympathetic and and kind of powerful at a time where i was i was kind of struggling with some of that stuff right yeah i totally get that and like so at the time my theory was like oh okay so like maybe there's someone on the team who has has either gone through this like firsthand or, or seen someone go through this and this is sort of about that um but here's the problem Jen do you know why he doesn't need the medication I mean I only know it from what I assume is the gameplay perspective because it would not most players would not have much fun having to monitor medication like they did in Far Cry 2 so Adam Jensen uh, was born into a, a lab called White Helix Labs. Oh, no. Which was a genetic research lab where they did genetic th- genetic therapy treatments, experimental genetic therapy treatments, and made him not need that stuff. And then the lab was burned down, and he was adopted and has no memory of any of this. Ugh. So it's not because... It's because of super science. It's because of illegal super science. God. And it just undercuts so much. It undercuts so much of that because it's just sort of like, I mean, part of it, yeah, like part of it was like, oh, okay, it's because of gameplay and they don't want you to have to take this drug all the time that's kind of screwed up. But also because, like, listen, if I didn't have to take these pills... I would be really fucking grateful. That sounds great. That's a great power fantasy of me not having to take medication every day, you know? Like, I thought there was just that element of it, and it's like, oh no, he's a he's a special superhuman boy. Okay, cool. And then you bring into that the fact that then we get to the sequel, um, and he's he's an augmented human. 
and now he's being oppressed because he's an augmented human and isn't that just like when they oppress those poor you know those poor you know african american people or whatever and it's like no it's really not um you're a rich white boy who got a bunch of presents and now you're being oppressed because of all your presents yeah he's basically a white cyborg savior and it's just it's really for for how how effective the original subtext was they've just fucked it up so bad that it's really embarrassing um and so I guess mostly like this this segment is just sort of me being like hey you know I wrote that article and I thought it was a good article um and I st- hey if you want to read the article I think it's I think it's yeah I still think it's a good article but don't think that Deus Ex is actually like super smart and careful and considerate about these issues cuz actually they're not they were just waiting to fuck it up yeah and given the series history which the very first game and most of them have been about we're going to what if every conspiracy theory was true? What if the Illuminati and all of that was a real force within everything? And even in the first game, your character's name is JC Denton, which is Jesus Christ Denton, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it was as it was the most blatant savior as can be. But the main difference for me when I was playing those games was you're less of a things. It's less that things happen to you and more like you're just an observer watching things happening within the world. And occasionally they'll be like, okay, which faction do you want to lead the world at this point? And that position was a lot less offensive than having, or a lot less dull than having this character this really gravelly voiced Adam Jensen himself is kind of a boring person <laughs> like yeah i think people have some fondness for the voice acting because it's nothing else sounds quite like it but yeah for gravelly voices he's got a good gravelly voice yeah but there's just no there's just nothing to that character and that was fine back when you were a literal christ insert but when they're trying to build this story of oppression and they mix that in with the savior, then it gets really messy and really unfortunate. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a real shame. Um, I feel like, I don't know. So it, it seems like the Deus Ex series has kind of been, has kind of been shelved for the moment. And, I think maybe it's for the best. I think you need a new team. If you want to do that again, you need a new team of writers. You need to rethink this stuff. Um, because I, I I think there's potential there. It, it's still, even with all these complaints, it's still really powerful to me to have a game that at all addresses these issues because they're really close to home for me. But um, that is issues of, of organ failure, not issues of being a sweet robot that everyone hates. <laughs> um, though, I mean, also, if we're being honest... No, I'm kidding. Oh, why um, am I so popular? <laughs> that's what I say every day. Every day. I look at the I look at the iTunes reviews and I'm like, oh man, I don't think we have any. Um, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of which, thank you for listening, folks. If you want to give us a rating or review, we are on iTunes. 
you could give us one there and help spread the word about the show. You could also tell a friend about us. I know most people don't actually listen on iTunes. I have numbers on that. So it's fine if you don't. Just, you know, tell a friend. We try to keep the podcast nice and short and digestible. If you want to find more work that we do, you can find that at scanlinemedia.com. We have other podcasts. We have articles. We have the occasional bit of video content. And if you want to help us do more, you can go to patreon.com slash scanlinemedia and chip in there. Um, we are, hopefully this week, hopefully this week, we are going to be putting up a new podcast, a new show that can only be accessed if you are a Patreon backer. We have never done any Patreon exclusive content or patron exclusive content before, but we're, we're taking, we're dipping our foot into the realm and we'll have a, a pretty cool new show that you can check out if you contribute even a dollar a month. So think about doing that. Uh, Jen, where can people find you on Twitter? So I am at JBU3 on Twitter. I am at 6264 on Twitter. Uh, Scanline Media is at Scanline Media, and all of these will be linked down below in the show notes if you don't want to type that in by hand or you're not sure how exactly we do it because I have a lot of numerals and stuff. I want to give a big thank you to Krista Lee for use of her track Hearts Burning Bright, which is our intro and outro music here on the show. You can find more of her work at opoorpup.bandcamp.com if you'd like to buy this track or other tracks of hers. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you next week. Catch you later.